so delighted to be back. I'm just going to walk out to the edge because they may want to pull that back a little bit. Otherwise, it just chops off my head. Anyway, while I'm talking to the camera, it's time to come to church, not sit at home in, in, your, in your pajamas. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm glad they got that off my chest. <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful to be here again. And I uh, trust that this, I just have a sense, you know, there are seasons to a church. Uh, and there are difficult seasons, there are seasons that you have great fruit and momentum, and the sense that I have in God is that you're coming into a season of great fruit and momentum. Uh, and it's not that the seasons that you have gone through have been bad, uh, but I do think God is going to do something in this season that, is, uh, that reaps a harvest. That's why we need to use these moments like Alpha and things like that, use them. Uh, be an inviter. Be, say, I'm going to fill a table. I, I remember a mate of mine up in Hillcrest when we did Alpha. He filled three tables and baptized 35 people of his colleagues on Sunday morning who all got saved at three tables from his business. I think it's a great opportunity. I, I think we should not miss it. Besides free food. Who gives up? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, what, what, forget all the other advertising. Free meals. Anyway, that's just a thought. Um, one of the things that I do in moving around amongst the churches is that I, I get a, a little bit of a sense of the heartbeat of God for His church, what it is that He wants to emphasize for us, and why He wants to emphasize that. And one of the, re, one of the things that I've really felt uh, in God for this nation, for the church, for you, is that we need to be a resilient people. I think what you realize is that, in particular, in this context of this province that we're in, having gone through, you know, riots and, and floods and, you know, rising costs of living and interest rates going up and the struggles of policy and politics and all the stuff that's going on, uh, South Africans generally are very resilient people. I, I, I think we can, you can all tap yourself on the back and say, that's a good thing. Uh, but I do find for many people some of that resilience wearing a bit thin. I'm getting a bit tired, getting a bit, uh, what's, what's happening? Has God lost control of all this? What's going on in our country? And, and, and I felt the Lord say, remind my people not to hook into what's going on in the world, but hook into me. I, 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 I'm absolutely convinced that our resilience does not lie in our ability to see a silver lining to every cloud. Our resilience lies in a great God who does great things, who we hook into, who we worship, who we live for. That, that if we hook into the wrong thing, uh, I find so many insipid, weak Christians, because they've got such a weak God uh, in their minds, who doesn't seem to encompass all that the Scripture seems to uh, preach and share with us but just a God that's into their blessing. And if God doesn't bless them, God seems to be non-existent and weak and disappeared on them because the blessing's gone. Oh, the blessing's gone. And instead of realizing that God never changes, he's always great. He, yes, he does want to bless us. In fact, he's already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you. So you have everything you need already. So the fact that you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, this struggle and that struggle and that issue, you have issues. I get it. But that doesn't change who God is. 
And the greater view of God that you have, the more resilient you'll be in this world that we live in. Because you're hooking into him. You're not hooking into the moving sand of politics and issues and economy around you. You're hooking into a God who never changes. And so that's the sense I have this morning from the Lord. I want to remind you again of how great he is, of how magnificent he is. And I want to answer a few questions that may be sitting in your heads with regards to what's going on around us. Um, So often we wonder why God doesn't step in. Why is God not stepping in? Why is he not doing stuff for us? Why is he not, you know, has God just kind of started all this and now we're left to our own devices? Uh, Why is he not stepping in? Uh, So many things seem unfair. People that are not Christians, not serving God, seem to be blessed. And people that are Christians and others, we think. So there's a lot of unfairness going on and we wonder why. Well, let me look at a a scripture to start with that is considered an unfair scripture. There's unfairness expressed in this scripture in Matthew 20 and verse 1 to 16. I'm going to read the whole thing for you. But to summarize, a master hires laborers. Jesus hears the story. A master hires laborers at four different times in the day. Sun up, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 5 p.m. right at the end of the day with one hour to go. And he pays them all the same. All get the same pay. Now, when you look at that, you think, hmm, the guys have got hired at five. They've got a great deal. They've got the same pay as the guys who worked the whole day. And immediately when Jesus shares the story, you can hear the, the, the slight murmur in the crowd. You think, well, this is unfair. This is not right. Matthew 20 verse 11 says, and on receiving it, They grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do you do not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last work as I give to you. And I'm not allowed, am I not allowed to do what I choose with him that belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I know that there is an interpretation of the scripture around the gospel. Those that come in first, the Jews, those that come in last, us. There's, an, there's a prophetic idea in the scripture. But, but I want to focus on the unjustness of it. The unfairness, seemingly, of it. God does as he pleases, even when it looks unfair to us. He's always just and always does what he wants i think sometimes we struggle with that in job 42 verse 2 in the new living translation i know that you can do anything and no one can stop you Job says job says you can do absolutely anything that you want to do and no one can stop you it should be clear at this time particularly why this is an important topic for us Because as we look around the world, as we look at the circumstances of our lives, sometimes we stumble over what seems to us to be unfair in the world. Why does God allow evil in the world? Why does all this trouble before the world when God seems to be in charge, but he gives free reign to the enemy just to do what he pleases? Why does this happen in the world in which we live? 
If God could stop it, why doesn't he stop it? I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because I'm going to try and answer it. <laughs> you see, we need to understand the sovereignty of God in a broken world. And the key to understand this at the very beginning is to understand the inadequacy of our own language to describe God. We battle to describe him because our language is not sufficient to describe who he really is. Our understanding is limited. It's like two centuries ago, man stands up and looks at the sky and says, I am the center of the universe. Because he lacks understanding. He doesn't know that he's a little planet floating around a sun that is a big planet in a solar system that's one of billions. He doesn't know. He just looks up and thinks, I'm the center. Exactly the same happens to us. We look at the circumstances of our life. We think that we are the center. And when it doesn't happen the way we think, our understanding is limited, friends. And we need to view God. Our minds need to collapse. And we need to lift our hands and worship again. And say, he is great. I do not understand. Sometimes we need to undo some of the things that are causing us to be weak and insipid in our thinking. I do want to try and make complicated things simple for you. So here comes a couple of questions. If God knows all things, why the devil? Why do bad things happen to good people? If God is loving, why Ukraine nightmare? Why, why wars? Why struggles? How do you recognize or reconcile an angry God of the Old Testament with a loving God of the New Testament? Some of the struggles that are going on in our heads when we talk about who God is. Now, even Scripture asks these questions. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? And the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he. But why, why, why are you not doing anything? Has God set the world in motion and then sat back to watch it wind down, to watch it end? You see, this is the deal. And here comes my answer to you, in part. God has always decided to create out of the world a people for himself. He wants you and I. That's the deal. He wants a people that will love him, that will worship him out of the earth. 1 Peter 2.9 puts it like this. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The idea is that we are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. It's our thing. But if we're constantly in the game for blessing to us, God looking after me and not for his excellencies and glory, somehow this picture gets really skewed. And people will struggle around us. They will struggle finding the excellencies and see the glory of God out of your life because you're constantly in a personal struggle for the blessing of God. We live in a world that constantly, even a Christian world, that constantly wants blessing. I, I listen to, to quite a bit of uh, music, especially when I drive, worship songs. Oh, I'm, a, I'm totally amazed at how many of the songs are about my blessing. Bless me, help me, love me. 
just constantly about me. When in fact, our job, our call is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into light. Can't be about us all the time. Can't be about our blessing. Because suddenly when the blessing seems to dry up in seasons, when it's not working, then we have nothing to say. Oh no, I've gone silent. God, God seems to have forgotten about me now. We lose our way. We anchor into the wrong thing. God wants us to anchor into the right thing. So before the very foundation of the world, he called us. God's intent is for a people who would worship as an act of free will. That we, of our own will and determination, would love him. The plan of God, this plan of God, necessitated choice. Free will means choice. I choose to worship. I can choose not to worship. I can choose in a sense that I want to respond to the love of God. I can choose not to. Choice is critical to the plan of God. The fact that we have free will means the possibility of evil exists. I could choose evil. So, well, we don't want any evil. Well, then you don't want any choice. See, God wanted a people who would choose him and worship him which necessitated that he himself, that God himself would choose to limit himself from the creation that he made. He would withdraw himself and allow choice. Why does God withdraw himself? Because of evil. Because of sin. God cannot touch or be connected to anything sinful, so God withdraws himself and allows the choice of evil for man. It's quite a thing to think about. The voluntary withdrawal of God from humanity, from us, that we would be able to choose. In fact, I cannot be free without this choice. Even if it means men choose evil on the scale of the Twin Towers or Ukraine. We want our choice. In fact, in the Old Testament, I mean, the rabbinical teaching... There's a word for this teaching. It's called tzitzum, the voluntary withdrawal of God. Because God has to allow choice for man. He withdraws himself, allow man to choose evil on the scale of thousands of people dying, on things happening, on Hitler's, on things in the world that are horrible because man wants his choice. Now you say, well, God, why are you not intervening in this world? Because we want our choice. So this is the deal. So God has made this about our choice to worship him. It's difficult to understand that in this divine self-limitation, God endures separation from himself so my evil could be dealt with. He, he endures separation from himself. Can you see it in, in Matthew 27 verse 46? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He withdraws himself voluntarily from his son. He withdraws himself from himself to allow me to choose. So though we do not want and we deplore evil and we deplore the, you know, weather going bad and people rioting and stuff happening in our world, we want God to intervene, yet we don't want to lose our choice. So God brings 
this whole plan together for us to choose to worship him, to declare his excellencies, brings the plan together because this was always part of God's plan. That God in his unchanging wisdom brought evil to a head so he could destroy it at the cross. He brings it together in his son, Jesus Christ, in his withdrawal. And then he brings a death blow to evil at the cross without taking our choice away. So that we would be his people who could worship him and declare his excellency of free will. The second struggle we have with understanding how great God is or the sovereignty of God is we have a poor theology of trouble. Because we have such a narrow view of God, we think that he is really only around to save me, to help me, to fill me with his spirit, to love me, to bless me, to look after me. It's not that God does not care and that he does not do any of those things. He saves you, and in his salvation, he's given you enough, even if you don't get anything else. I I, I said this to Corinne many times. I said, the fact that she chose me to marry me is enough for me. Everything else I get from her in my married life is a bonus. I live bonus blessed every day. The fact that Jesus saves me and gives me all in his, in, in the sun on the cross, gives me everything for life and godliness, is enough for me. Even if I'm never blessed again a day in my life. Paul says, I've been shipwrecked, broken, lost, smashed, hurt, killed, without food, in jail. But he's enough. Can you see it? In the midst of the lack of blessing that sometimes we see, if we have a poor theology of trouble, we have a weak view of God, we struggle with the trouble. Because the trouble seem to tell us that God has lost interest in us. He's disappeared on me. But of course, that is not at all true. You see, this is his story, not ours. Psalm 135, verse 5 says, For I know that God is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. A sovereign view of God sees God at work even in trouble. Even in the struggles of my life, I live in the blessing of God because I am saved. I'm rooted and anchored into who he is. A non-sovereign view of God blames my trouble on the devil. I constantly got to fight on with the devil. You see, there's two lions in the Bible. You notice that? There's two lions. One is the, 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 the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the other is the roaring lion of John 10.10. 10. He roams around like a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. What's the purpose of roaring? Why does a lion roar? To put fear into its prey. When it hunts, when a lion hunts, it doesn't roar. It's quiet. It hunts. But when a lion roars, it wants to put fear into the heart of its prey. The problem is we have allowed the roar of the wrong lion to put fear into our hearts when the lion of the tribe of Judah is for us. 
So we live with this strange view of trying to fight the devil. That, oh, the devil's on. I haven't pointed enough scripture. I don't know why I'm sick again. God, it must be the devil. The devil is a defeated foe. The lion of the tribe of Judah is for you. He just roars to make you afraid. He just roars to put fear into your heart. Maybe this is the cancer returning. Maybe this is a struggle. Maybe, oh, and suddenly our minds collapse on us. And the very purpose upon which we were his, to declare his excellencies and glory, disappears from our mouth. Because we've got intimidated by the roar of the lion that just wants to put fear in our hearts. The third struggle that we have with the sovereignty of God is the struggle of doubt. Now, I want to say this to you. We've been discouraged from asking questions. Wrongly discouraged from asking questions. Questions seem to signify doubt. When I have questions, I'm doubting. We're not allowed to doubt, and therefore we're not allowed to have questions. We must live in faith. I want to say this. Could all the doubters please leave the room? Okay? I'm out of here. And you can all join me. You see, the problem is not, it's not the questions. It's not the struggles that we have with the questions we have. We frame the idea of questions completely wrong. We've minimized God. We've minimized our view of God by saying that questions are the same as doubt, and they are not. What if being a questioner makes God bigger, not smaller? What if being a person that asks questions actually frames a God that I do not know? I don't, I don't have a handle on God. The problem with many Christians is they want a handle. They wonder God that they can put in a box. They know. Oh, I know him. I've got him. There he is. Well, the moment you put God in your frame, he's not God anymore. The moment you know all the answers to all the questions, you've just completely lost your view of God. What if our questions makes God bigger and not smaller? What if it says that God is much bigger than anything that I could ever understand, any ever perceive, and that my questions encourages the idea that God is bigger than any of my questions? Unanswered questions tell me that we know so little, and it right-sizes God for us. Earl Stevens writes, this confidence never comes from having all the answers. It comes from being open to all the questions. That we are open to all the questions. That God is bigger than anything you could ever frame in a question. Our final struggle is the struggle of wanting to be in charge. Who's in charge? So most of us live attempting to be God. I, I, have, I have done this for you before. So you're very sad this morning that you were not here because you're going to miss some of this message. Anyway, so... So I've I've done this for you before in this church, or elements of it. A a person who is thoroughly on the throne of their own life, in charge of their own life, um, and God is nowhere in the circle of their life. 
is called a non-Christian. They're not believers. God's out there somewhere. The fact that God exists, loves them, saves them, has a future for them, doesn't change. That's always true. God always wants to save. God always wants to love. God always wants to transform this life. But the fact is, I've never in, I, God is not in my circle, so I need to be at Alpha. Right? To understand that, hey, I, 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 something needs to change in this picture because I am thoroughly on the throne of my own life. I'm in charge. I don't want to hand that responsibility over to anyone. Me on the throne, God not here, I'm a non-Christian. But what about me on the throne and, 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 and God is invited into the circle? Now, now, many Christians live like this. So they say, well, you know, I'm a churchgoer, I belong, I love Jesus, yes, I do. But hmm, I don't really want to give up my, you know, my rights. We, we are, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of my own life. It's, it's wonderful to have Jesus, wonderful to have God in my life. But I invite him into my circle, but I'm still very much in charge. Now, a lot of Christians operate just like this. They say, oh, and I've invited Jesus into my life. It's wonderful. And, and, and he blesses me and loves me. And, 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 but but I, really, I really want to live my own life. Don't tell me how to manage my money. Like this whole giving away a big portion of my money to the church. I mean, really? Who ever does that anymore? You see the problem? I'm in charge. I'll manage my own stuff. I'll do my own thing. But God is in my life. It's called a carnal Christian. John Ortberg says this, to maintain the illusion that you are the Messiah, you must shout out any evidence to the contrary. If you want to be your own God, you have to settle for living in a tiny universe where there's only room there's for only one person, you. When you could grow, your world could grow infinitely bigger if you were only willing to become appropriately small. We live in a very small world here. When you're on the throne and you're a carnal Christian, thoroughly in charge of your own life, your world becomes about this big. This circle is your world. When in fact you could live a much better way. If this is your world, when things get disturbed inside of here, suddenly it seems like I'm not in charge anymore. When I'm not in charge, all my struggles here tell me that I'm, no longer, I'm not in control. When I'm not in control, I'm not on the throne anymore. You know, my wife is doing stuff to me. My children are doing... Nobody really seems to honor the fact that I'm in charge. And my world seems to be falling apart. It's a small God problem. You, being the God, on the throne of your own life, you've invited Jesus into your life, but he is nothing more than part of the circle and the sphere of your life. Can you see the problem? We made God particularly small. The other third way that happens here is that we play what I call musical chairs with God. So we say, okay, my universe is now appropriately big. God's on the throne of my life. I'm in the circle. But Tim, the rascal, preaches something I don't like. Actually, to be honest, last Sunday he offended me a little with that thing he said, or whatever he did. I didn't like that. 
I, I really didn't like that. So I want to be in charge again. Uh, okay. But hey, next Sunday it's Paula. I like Paula a lot better. She can say and represent the word of the Lord to me. I will receive it. I will change. It's okay. But then again, some person stands up and gives a testimony about something. And, and oh no, I don't like that at all. I, 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 thank you. I'm appropriately in charge again. Because I don't want to do that. And we play musical chairs with God. Hopping backwards and forwards between being in control and not. Just depending on what we like and what we don't. Too many Christians live a life of convenience. Because that's what that is. God on the throne, me in the circle, means a surrendered life. I surrender all to him. Never, if I am never blessed again another day in my life, if nothing ever goes right again in my life, he's on the throne. And I'm in the circle. Now, I'm not saying that God does not want to bless you. I have lived in God's blessing almost my whole life. Incredibly, in so many ways. God wants to bless me. But if he, even if he didn't, it wouldn't change this relationship. It wouldn't change the fact that my life is about giving honor and glory to his excellencies, to his life. Because this is why I was created. If I want to find my purpose, I have to get off the seat and be appropriately small. When I'm here, it suddenly makes a lot more sense what's going on in the world. I understand his place, which means I discover my own a lot quicker. If you don't see him for who he really is, then you can't really see your own rightful place. You're constantly fighting for control. Constantly fighting for the rights. I have the right to choose. Yes, he gave it to you. He withdrew himself from creation to allow you to have choice. To choose him. To choose to be a declarer of his glories and of his excellencies. And if you see it, if you see how great he is, suddenly trouble becomes much more easy to manage. Suddenly you hook into who he is and it changes everything. Don't let your life contradict who you want on the throne of your life. God is everything. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, when all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. There's no way for finite man to fully understand an infinite God. It's like standing on the globe and looking up and thinking you're the center of everything. When we all know now that you are not. We don't know what we don't know. And the only thing we can do is we can allow our minds to collapse and say, actually, I now understand why I'm here. I now understand what my life's purpose is. Even if I don't have, even if everything does not go right, my life's purpose is to give 
glory and honor and declare the excellencies of God who brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. My purpose is to glorify him. When we come to him, our minds ought to collapse in worship. The problem for many Christians is that they have such an inferior view of God, such a small picture of God. I've used this analogy for you many times. It's like a superman God, a little bit bigger than man, a little bit better than you, a little bit stronger than you. And whenever you need superman, he flies into your aid. All you need to do is whisper, superman, superman, I need your help. And he flies in and he helps you and he saves you. And then he flies away again. Till next time when you need Superman to come and to help you. Your view of God for many Christians is nothing more than Superman. A Marvel hero. Who's Superman? For goodness sake. A creation of some human mind. And yet we've made God into someone who needs to come at our beck and our call. And arrive to help us in our moment of trouble. And somehow we've sized God down into that kind of picture. And when he does not arrive, oh, the wrath of a Christian who is spawned by God, who does not arrive, he did not help me. I'm done. I'm done with church. I'm done. Why am I even, why am I giving money? Why am I, why? My budget doesn't work anyway. All the things we have to say because We just like to sit on this chair. It's time to move. I don't think the next couple of years, and I think that's why the Lord is wanting to remind you, I don't think the next couple of years are going to be easy years for our nation. Don't think so. I'm not saying that, oh, God's not absolutely in charge. But I don't think they're easy years. I think interest rates are going to go up. I think things are going to get more expensive. And maybe your salary doesn't rise to meet those expenses. Oh, woe is me. Oh, no, 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 no. I know a father in heaven. I know the lion of the tribe of Judah. That it does not matter how loud the roar of this false lion is. To put fear in me, I have no fear in me at all does not matter what befall me in this world. I am hooked into something. I'm hooked into a heavenly system, a process, a glory of the Father that just overshadows all of the struggles of my life. There lies my security. There lies yours. Do not think that your security lies in your investments, in your house, in the rental income, the thing, your job. It does not. It lies in Him. Hook into Him. Hook into the sovereignty of God and you will be secure. You will find the very purpose of your life which is to declare the excellencies of Him who saved us out of darkness into His glorious light. It is the very purpose of why we're sitting in this room. Why are you here? Breathe a bit of air. Walk around on the globe for 60, 70, 80 Maybe 90 years if you're lucky. Take up space. Oh, no, 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 no. We have an eternal purpose. 
We are hooked into something much, much bigger than just our little story of trying to survive. We're hooked into the story of God, of his ultimate plan and purpose for the world that's so much bigger than just me. Don't you want to be part of that rather than this little story? Close your eyes for a second, won't you? Jesus, I think that you remind us of these things because you want us to be resilient. Not just this normal resilience that South African seems to have. Endure so much trouble and yet come out still looking like the world is okay, even when the Springboks lose. It's okay. No, we don't want to just be known for our natural resilience because I think that will be tested at times. We want to be resilient because we know you. Because we know you. Because we are hooked into a much bigger plan than our own little plan. We're hooked into a much bigger story than our own little story. So thank you for the resilience of this church. Thank you for the resilience of City Hill here in Amansom Todi. Thank you, Father, for a people that will be able to, as Paul says, it does not matter what's happened to me. I will still glorify God. You are still the treasure of my life. You're still the one that I hook into. You're still the one that I glorify, no matter what. So, Jesus, we will glorify you. We will let our life have purpose in magnifying your name and declaring the excellencies of who you are. I pray that that kind of resilience will hit every life in this room. In Jesus' name. Look up for a moment. Everyone in this room, look up and look at me if you can. Or look around if you want. But I want anyone who's come into this room today and says, I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ today. I want to give my life to him. I've let this be about me for too long. But today, I need to surrender authority and life to Him. I need to give my life to Jesus so He saves me. I don't save myself. can't. I need to give myself to Him. And if that's you in this place today, and you're sitting in this room with everyone looking up and everyone looking around and probably looking at you, because I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm going to ask you to walk to the front of this meeting in front of everyone. Why? Because the Bible says if you would declare me in front of man, I will declare you before my Father in heaven. If you will mention my name. Oh man, something miraculous happens in this room today. If you're willing to bury a little pride and say, I need him to save me. And if you're sitting upstairs, downstairs today, it doesn't matter. But you want to say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Then stand up out of the seat that you're in and walk to the front of this meeting right now. Right now. Come. Come forward. Just come, just come right forward. There are a couple of people behind you. Come. come. Maybe some of you think, oh, maybe that's not me. And, you know, I've been in church for a long time. And what will people think now? And who cares what people think? Come and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. 
Come. I like that t-shirt. Altered state. He wants to alter your state. Completely. Today. In this place. And so Father, as these men and women stand here in front of this audience, stand up, won't you? Stand up and stretch out your hands to them. I thank you, Jesus, for your grace that is enough. It's enough. It's enough to save me. It's enough to keep me. Maybe I've grown up my whole life thinking that God is there to help me, to serve me, to look after me, to kind of be there for me. But actually, I realize that my life is about Him. My life is about worship of Him. And today, you're doing a work in each person right here, right now. You're saving them. You're transforming them. This work, even as they stepped out of their seat, the moment their bum rose off that chair, a miraculous work happened on the inside of them. Bang, right there. Right there. Their names were shouted out in heaven. Right there, the miracle happened. Right there, young man, as you stepped out of that chair, came late here to this thing. God saved you. He did something in you. Right there, a miracle happened. A miracle happened, altered state. A miracle, a miracle, a miracle. Right through this room. In Jesus' name. I thank you for that miracle. I thank you for that miracle. Not only do you save them, but you keep them. They don't have to be uncertain again, ever. They don't have to be uncertain. From this day, uncertain, never again. Because you are his. You are his. Say, well, hey, I've been at church a long time. I've sat in meetings. I've lifted my hands. I know that. I know quite a few of you. Saying, hey, I've done that. But today was a significant moment. To say, I'm in. Enough standing around in the shadows. Enough waiting. Enough hanging around. No, today, God is transforming me. God is giving purpose to my life again. Now. In Jesus' name. Some of the leaders that are around here, come up and stand with them. I know we can have a bit of chaos. It's okay. Who cares about the camera for now? Get in the way of it. Just stand around. Come pray with some of these people. And leaders around, people. Even if you feel, hey, I'd like to pray. Come, we can do with you too. Uh, come and pray. Lay hands on these people right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just come stand with this man in the front, one of you. Come right to the front. There we go. Right to the front. Stand with them. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you, Father. I pray that even as your blessing, your life, washes through this moment over these people right now, that it washes through them. Something happens to all of us. Even as we see this miraculous moment, because I feel like the Lord is saying, this is a miraculous moment. The greatest miracle you will ever see is not a blind person seeing. It's not a person coming out of a wheelchair. It's right here. That our lives are transformed by the grace and the power of the cross right now. That miracle, Father, I pray that it would flood through us again. That we would see, each and every person in this room would see their purpose again. Now, in Jesus' name. Leaders, pray with these people for a moment. Just pray with them. Stand with them. Hang with them as I hand over to Tim to end this meeting officially. God bless you.